The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. You are listening to the Burrows of Berea. Side studies. You ready for mine? (laughs) Yes, I'm ready for yours. Okay. What kind of man was Boaz before he got married? What kind of man was Boaz before he got married? Mm -hmm. Oh, I think I know this, but I don't want to ruin it. Ready? Yes. I'm ready. I have no idea. Ruthless. <laughs> it's a Bible joke. <laughs> yes. You got to know Boaz yeah, and I Ruth. Yeah, I don't know that, yeah. Yeah. Well, welcome back to the Burrows of Berea. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> I am Rick Welch, and to my left is Ralph Hicks. Ralph, I need a nickname for you, buddy. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> what, what was that guy's name? And, I can't remember. Uh, Matthew McConaughey plays him. Yeah. We'll have to look like that up. like Boomer or something. I don't Bo- know. <laughs> Seems like Boom Howard. could be a boomer or something. Yeah. Yeah. To my right is Cherry Lewis. Hello. Behind the glasses, Rocket Man, Andy Bishop. Let's <laughs> <laughs> we'll find a real rumbly I, noise. I, I love that name. I love that name. Well, we're back here. We don't have Billy today, uh, but Billy will be back with us on the next podcast. So we miss Eye Candy, Kimsey. Yeah, Billy Eye Candy, Kimsey. <laughs> When Cherry's we talk- making a face, and and to me that face said, "Cheese, why don't I get that nickname?" Ah, yeah, no, <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah, well, I was talking to Billy about that, and he said, "If I'm the eye candy, are you the eyesore?" Oh, ah. actually, I said that he didn't. Very harsh. Just kidding. Yes, very harsh. <laughs> well, we're back on this. Well, cherries are sweet and delicious. <laughs> that was usually. So, that was so also, sweet. also, probably we're not going with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably not. I had one on my banana split the other day. A cherry? Yeah. Yeah. They're good. <laughs> They're my favorite. All right. So we are back to this part two of the Olivet Discourse. And Cherry, I went back and I listened to it. I don't think I answered your question last time. I don't think so either. I, I tried, but you know how I am. When you ask me a question, it's never just a straight answer. Mm-hmm. That's why yesterday when you asked me that one question, I just responded yes, because I was like, I'm going to give her a straight answer. And then I'll have to try to you know, do my best to answer the question. But when you asked about you know, the rapture, I realized that your question was saying that when the rapture of the church happens, that the Holy Spirit and everything with it goes away. Mm-hmm. And so if you believe in the rapture and the Holy Spirit leaves... And if that's the case, and you think that is what happened in the past, then why are we doing what we're doing right, today? Correct. That's what I missed. I didn't catch that part. And so I realized I didn't answer your question. And so my point is that the church age never ends, that the Spirit never leaves, that the Holy Spirit in the age and then the age to come, in both ways, you could blaspheme the Holy Spirit, meaning that you could sin, right? But also that the Holy Spirit would be there that you could blaspheme. So... I don't believe that the Holy Spirit leaves his people, and I don't believe that the people leave here. I think that the people remain, that we will naturally physically die, but that's when we will change. And as far as 
the moment in the twinkle you and I when everything changed. Do you remember that square with all the triangle stuff that I was trying to explain? That you had the end of the age and the beginning of mm-hmm. the other? That's what the birth pangs of the Messiah were. It was the beginning. It was the birth of the new age. And its culmination came through the destruction of the temple. And then by this point, that's where a hyperpreterist will say that that's the new heaven and the new earth. So I am not claiming to be a hyperpreterist. I'm not even really claiming to be a preterist at this point. I'm I'm teaching from the preterist viewpoint, which is from, you know believing that the second coming has already occurred. And I really am. I'm honestly I'm 98 there. Like I believe that it is, but I don't know necessarily how this works because I feel like I don't know. There's just something that seems like they're just hanging. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know why, but uh, R.C. Sproul is a partial preterist. He's one of those people that believe that a lot of these things have been fulfilled, but that final part where the church is raptured and mm-hmm. leaves, and then uh, God deals with the Jews one final time, he believes that. And so he's much smarter than I am, you know, but there's also some very smart men that don't believe any of that either. So right. I think if you read it yourself, I call it proof. It's a proof to me. If it's in the scripture, I feel pretty solid, you know, and that's what today's episode is going to be about. It's going to be about all the things that Jesus talks about, and uh, we're gonna, we're in Matthew twenty four, and we're going to study verse four through uh, fourteen. Uh, Ralph, by any chance, do you have the ESV handy? Your version, what you sent out? Well, I, yeah, but it's all split up. I wanted to read the entire uh, Matthew twenty four verse one through fourteen. But I can, I'll pull it up for you, and if you want, you can read it from my Bible here. Uh, I have gotten some feedback, guys, that Ralph, everybody likes Ralph's voice when he reads better than mine. So, Oh, really? Isn't that nice? And they like your voice, too, oh, actually, nice. Jerry. <clears throat> so what do they I'm say about read. me? They're like, that guy should stutter more. They were like, why doesn't he ever read the Bible? And I was like, he's an atheist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cut the guy a break. I would, I, I'm not opposed to reading the Bible. I, would, I don't believe it will cause me to melt or anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, then by all means, let's see how well you do with reading. Oh, I, I don't know that I like reading out loud, but it will have nothing to do with <laughs> the fact that it's the Bible. <laughs> well, I'm not sure that it's me, but maybe this microphone. So do you want from the top, Jesus foretells destruction of the temple? Yeah, I want to do Matthew 24, 1 through 14. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us. When will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulations and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my sake. And then many will fall away, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved." 
And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Perfect. Thank you, Ralph. So um, I would like from each of you, I mean, you just heard that, okay? And we talked about this at the, at the very first study. I really wanted to hone in on the fact that Jesus was answering his disciples' questions, that the audience relevance mattered, and that his answer was a direct answer to the questions that they asked. Right? So right. when will these things be? When will the temple be destroyed? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so that, that question, the way it was posed, that threefold question, they say all of these things culminating at the same time. And so Jesus answers them in that specific fashion, okay? So from your perspective, I'll start with you, Cherry. When you hear those words, if you put yourself in the position of the disciple, what would you be thinking or feeling based on what you know? Put yourself in the moment. I think that um, I would be still confused some. Maybe, I mean, you're standing in front of me. I'm asking you when the sign of your time is coming, when the end of the age is coming, still looking for, I guess, more of a solid answer, I guess, more of a exact timing, I guess. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of it still seemed, seems to me would be more still confusing some, mm -hmm. even being a disciple when he was standing there answering it. Right. How about you, Andy, from a perspective of a disciple sitting there? Now, you got to keep in mind everything we've talked about. They've seen Jesus raise people from the dead. They've seen, they, they, these men have seen people healed of leprosy, uh, hand, withered hands being made restored, blind people seeing, deaf people hearing, raising of the dead. They've watched him do all these things, and they've just witnessed him go after the religious elite of his time. And then they're in this little intimate moment, and they're like, when are you going to be the Messiah? And the, those are his answers. I mean, think about it from that perspective. Like, It feels a little evasive, honestly. Mm -hmm. it, feels a little, it feels a little evasive. It's very like... Yeah, you know, as Cherry says, it's not it's not terribly specific. Um, so I want to say something about, you know, it's easy to misinterpret things like that or reinterpret them to fit whatever your personal narrative is, but I'm not sure that they would have been thinking about it like that. Uh I don't know. It just if my only thought is that it feels it does overall feel a little evasive to me. Mm -hmm. Like in, almost intentionally vague. But maybe that's a language thing. I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, how about you, Ralph? Well, it seems to me it's um, there. There's two parts to it. At least, at least that's how I, I see it. Is is that there's two parts. There's the the temple, uh, and then there's the beginning of all of these things that are going to come. Uh, and so there's a there's. I know that in this that you wrote, you said that you think all of this happened at that time, but there. There's more to this passage. There are things around the passage, like the wars and all these other different things that that didn't all happen at that time. So to me, it it kind of leaves open that uh, the, the the temple be destroyed, and then these other things are beginning. All of these things that are going to happen are beginning, and when they are at, to end, I I don't know when they're going to end. I don't know. If, <clears throat> I I tried to look and understand by what you were saying where where they had all happened, 
and that had already been. And then I've also listened to other things that you've said and trying to figure out exactly what you mean by that you think the second coming has come. So do you think the second coming is when he rose from the dead? Do you think it was 40 days after? When is it that you believe that the second coming took place? I believe the second coming took place around 70 AD. And this episode here, when we get into the notes of today, all of the, like what you just said a minute ago, you or 30 seconds ago, you said that you see all the two parts, like the destruction of the temple and then all these other things, like wars and rumors of wars and nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, false prophets, all those things. What I'm going to set about to prove today is that all of those things actually did happen. Those things happened uh, from the time of Christ's ascension all the way until the destruction of the temple. And it's found in, not only in Scripture, but it's also found through historical accounts. So you're saying that the second coming is dip different from the rapture? I'm saying that the second coming and the—well, as far as the rapture is concerned, I don't believe in the rapture. Like, the rapture of the church, that— um, is taught, especially today, like the dispensationalist view of the rapture, what we find in Second Thessalonians, where we see people uh, either disappearing and their clothes falling on the ground and planes crashing and cars burning and uh, people floating up into the sky, meeting Jesus in the air and then flying into heaven and um, like all of that. You know, we have plenty of scriptures that say, um, you know, I will not have you ignorant brethren, uh, those that are uh, that have, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the air, you know, and, and meet him in the air and be forever with the Lord. Um, I don't see those as a physical thing. I don't, um, the spirit of God, spirituality, uh, the temple, we are the temple, you know, we are the living stones of that temple. Um, Jesus, you know, describes to Nicodemus, uh, look at, uh, you must be born again. This is not a, just an earthly thing. We're talking about heavenly things. Um, I don't see the rapture, uh, at, by definition, honestly, is only about 170 years old as far as when the church started talking about it. And it is an American thing. It's not a worldwide thing. The early church fathers did not believe in a rapture. It was never taught. Um, churches of today say that it was revealed to the church uh, much later in time because of the t so much time that passed. So they feel like where are you at, Jesus? We got to have some sort of explanation. So John Nelson Darby came up with one in 1830 and uh, released it, and then Schofield expounded on it, and then he, you know, that moved on to D.L. Moody and then the Dallas Theological Seminary School and John Walvoord and all of these brilliant men that continued to expound and build on top of that that teaching, that eschatological view. But I disagree with it. I mean. A lot of the people that I read, like C.H. Spurgeon, they never, they, they didn't believe in that either. And so when we read the Bible, I, I said last week, the Greeks, they're very physical. And Cherry asked me a very interesting question yesterday about the physical, you know, and we're going to get into that about when Jesus ascends and the angels say, hey, he left, you just watched him go up in the sky and the way that he left, in like manner, he's going to return. So there's like this physical representation where Christ will return again at this point. When... My gut feeling is telling me that it happened around AD 66, based on some historical accounts, But uh, which I'm going to get into. Like, I'm going to show you—all of this stuff is not just coming off the top of my head. Like, Well, and then how does that fit in with the Revelation? Well, Revelation, Matthew 24, Daniel, pretty much <laughs> Daniel 7 through the rest of the book, all of those, Zechariah, uh, Amos, they all tie together. All of them— 
they tell a similar thing, but it's at the different points of when this judgment was occurring, the end of the age. So I don't believe in this earth-burning cataclysmic destruction of the world. I do believe in a new heaven and a new earth. I just don't think that it's the way that we think that it is, the way that we've been taught. I've been taught this my whole life. I know what dispensationalism is. I, I used to study these prophetic books all the time, and I tried to understand it to the best of my ability. But no matter which view that you take, whether you're pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, amillennialist, what, or amillennialist, whatever you want to be, preterist view, uh, the preterist view is the only one that actually takes the true time statements and puts them in the time. And there's enough biblical and historical evidence to prove it out. So they're just saying that preterist meaning past, that past. this already happened. Yes. And that's the preterist view, which was, the, which was pretty much the view of the church, I mean, for a long time. It just changed recently in the last, like I said, 170 years, 1830 well, to— the Revelation's been around for a long time. I know there's been a lot of—Catholic th- Church is really <laughs> big on coming up with uh, new things and, and that didn't necessarily, aren't necessarily in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, scholars over the years have all come up with different things um, from that. It's— am I, to under- am I trying to understand what you're saying? Is this just an end of an age— Mm-hmm. Or was this so? This second coming to you was just the end of that age, and now we're in a new age. Yes, and like I like I told Cherry, I don't know even if this was on the recording today or before, but I didn't throw the flag up here and say I am a hyper preterist and I only believe this. What I'm saying is that I have studied this for a large portion of my life, and I have always had to bend words to make it work, no matter which view that I've had. You have to bend it in some way. It's hard to put all of this together, matching it with the historical narrative as well as the biblical narrative. So um, I don't want to have to bend it anymore. So I decided when I started studying and reading the Bible as it was, like Andy described it perfectly in the, the last episode, he said, it's yeah, it's like two guys sitting there talking about something and it's in its time frame. Like this man said this to this guy and that's how it is. You know, like... I like that. You know, it instead of reading the Bible like a newspaper, I'm reading it like a history book. You know, and Jesus was talking to his, his disciples at that time and he said this is how it was going to happen. And those timestamps were important to me, you know. If if I answer the question like I just asked you guys, like how would I feel if I was a disciple? I would that evasive thing that you're talking about to me it doesn't seem evasive. To me it seems like it's over my head. Like when he's talking to me, he's describing things that I cannot understand. I can't even fathom them. And he knows that. But he's telling us this anyway, because his words are eternal. His words matter. Mm-hmm. And ours, we're sitting there like scratching our head like a bunch of monkeys. Like, we, what are you talking about? Right. And then it's not until you get to the book of Acts that, you know, or late John and then the book of Acts where uh, he opens their minds to understand the scriptures and all the things that he had told them. They weren't able to understand it until they were given the ability to understand. So for me, listening to everything you just read, if I was sitting as a disciple, which is what I was trying to do when you were reading, I thought, that must be to think, you know, like, we are all here with you. I have left my job. I've left my family. I have followed you for three and a half years, and I have watched you do the most amazing things, and I believe that you are the Messiah. When are you going to finally be that Messiah? When are you going to reveal yourself to all of us? When are you going to show the world? When are you going to shock the world and do this? And he said, uh, pretty much the world's going to hate you and you're going to die. They're, they're going to kill you. They're going to hate you. That would be, I'd be like, 
what are you talking about? You know, like, what do you mean? Yeah, he kind of he kind of tossed it on them. Yeah, and then he goes like, you know, Andy, you. Sometimes you say some surprising things, but you're like, man, that took a hard left. Like when he, you know, in the middle of the Oliver discourse, all of a sudden it's like, and the sun will be darkened and the moon will lose its light and the stars will fall, you know. Yeah, it it sounded like a totally different author, really. Right. And as soon as that happens, you know, that, and we didn't even read that today. But if I was a disciple sitting there, listen to that. and, And maybe they did understand it because they knew the Old Testament almost basically by heart because that's all they ever did was go to synagogue, you know, and listen to those things their whole life and memorize the Torah before they were 12. And, you know, maybe they knew things that we didn't know, but to me, it would have been, this is way over my head. I I don't know how to respond to that. I mean, I would reframe it to play devil's advocate. I would reframe it like, what if we were having that conversation and I answered you like that? Mm -hmm. I would... If I had just witnessed you walk on water and watch this man that had— I don't know these guys have that amount of faith in him. Yeah. Because, I mean, instantly when he's, you know, when he dies on the cross, yeah, they're, they're scattered instantly. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know that— I just think because they scattered doesn't mean they didn't have faith. They were just humans and yeah, afraid. faith, but how much? Or, you know, like— ah, you know, it's it's one thing to believe in a man in front of you, but every once in a while, somebody calls a game over, and you're just like, okay, you know? And well, I think, but if you look at their lives after they were done running and see the things that they did, and they were persecuted, and they continued preaching, and they continued writing letters, and they continued doing things, that shows me a lot of faith. That's that's high, sure, yeah, but I, I think that maybe it developed as a result of his death, but in the moment of his death, I think they, I don't know, I don't know that they saw him through the lens that we're projecting on their eyes. I, you know what I mean? I, I think they believed in him as a leader probably, but I don't know that they believed in him as a God. I think they believed in him as a religious leader and everything else was probably to follow. I am. Mm-hmm. Um... I think, you know, it's many a times, several miracles that they watched, that they witnessed, walking on water, the raising of the dead, healing the sick, and multiple times over and over again, you know, they still seemed as if they had questioned their faith, little faith. And then when he died on that cross, you know, Peter went back to what he knew. I mean, it was almost like everything that they had faith in, everything that they had witnessed. I mean, he did all these things, but now he's dead. And... I think they lost a lot of that with that. But when he rose again and they seen that, it seemed like that's when that faith, that that smoldering fire was then lit again and they were able to go out in confidence because not only had they witnessed all of the miracles up to the death, then they witnessed the death and then they watched him conquer death, which gave them that new refreshing that new ability to go out and proclaim him as the, as Christ. That's that that is sort of my read. Have you ever been a part of something that was impingent on a single person? Everybody has been a part of something like that where like there's something everybody's doing a part but there is one person holding it together and you know damn well who it is because mm-hmm. you always do in those circumstances. If that person becomes indisposed in some manner, that's it. Yeah. That's that's just 
that's I don't know. I, I just know, think it's I, like one of those things. Like sometimes I don't know because yeah. I, I, you know, I when you said that I was thinking of Tony Robbins. You know, he's up there doing all this, and we're all hyped up and everything, and then you go away and you slowly lose it. But I don't know. To me, it, some of these guys were creating, were, were performing miracles of their own while they were out on the road. And doing things, so th- well, th- there had to be faith there, or they wouldn't be able to do that. Well, that would I think and, that would count against Jesus, honestly, because if other people are doing miracles, no, these were his disciples that, makes, that he had enabled. But it still makes him less special. I don't think so, because they're all doing this in the name of the Lord. They weren't doing it in their own name. They weren't saying, "Oh, well, I'm one of his disciples, so I can do this." No, I do this in the name of the Lord. I I, I do this, and he who uh, came before, you know, showed me these things. Who I follow. I understand. I understand that you're correct in that, but I still, it's, you know, sir. What is it? It's just an it's just an economic thing. Like surplus of surplus of miracles lessens their value, regardless of whether or not they're attributing them to Jesus and the Lord. It's still all of a sudden it's not one man with the power. Right. But I think I thought your point was that you thought that they didn't have faith. But and what I was saying is that, you know, performing those miracles shows that they to, to me shows that they had faith and that uh, would show, to me, it would show other people uh, that they had the faith and the conviction. And certainly when it happened, they were in shock uh, and they were afraid because, you know, Jesus on the, uh, this is all, this all happens. These are all these five discourses from Matthew happened at the Mount of Olives when he was there uh, talking to them. And then, uh, (laughs) uh, so he's having all these things, they're talking to them and scaring the heck out of them. And then some of these things, when he dies, they're seeing that this stuff is going to come true. And they're look at Peter; he denied him three times, even though he said he wouldn't. And he was right there, and he was still alive when he said, "You're going to deny me three times." No way, I'm not. And then right at the moment, he's the clock, the cock crows, and he does it right away out of fear. So I think it was my opinion is it was more out of fear, and uh, I don't think. Had I been a disciple, I would have honestly thought that he would go through with letting himself be crucified. I think when he died, I would have just been in shock. Like I definitely agree with that. Uh, uh, now what do I do? And I think you've. I think at that moment, I don't think that they didn't have faith. I think that they were just in shock and now weren't prepared. For the fact that this really did happen, so now they got to question everything, and now they got to think of everything, and now they got to find the new direction. And maybe, as you said, Cherry, that when he rose again and came back to him, maybe they got some clarity out of that. I think that uh, uh, most of them would have uh, gotten that anyway, and some of them did beforehand. And there were a lot more than just twelve disciples. I mean, there were there were oh, yeah. there were there were hundreds of thousands of people. There was that also Rufus. Him. I mean, you know, so <laughs> there you was that eventually, right? There okay, were a lot of. There are a lot of people there, uh, so I think there was a lot going on. And but I think even if it were me, as much as I believe to to have him here, I would I would be in shock if the Lord showed up here today and was standing in front of. Him. I would I think I would be blank. Yeah, sure. I, I don't think then if he left, I'd be the same. Yeah, I don't think we disagree. You guys, when you were talking like that, I hadn't even thought about the fact that the disciples, when he sent the seventy out. And they were casting out demons. I hadn't even thought about that. I mean, pretty much the things that Jesus was doing, they began to do. So it, it sort of hinges on like what Andy said a minute ago. Like when you have that one guy that's everything's impingent upon him being there, it's almost like 
they had the faith in Christ and what he can do, but then when their leader is gone, then suddenly all of that is gone. Yeah, I think it's just an organization, an organizational problem, honestly. So, do you remember, it, well, I don't know if you remember, I don't even know if we talked about this, but Jesus talks, he tells the disciples that he's going to leave and that it's better that he go. It's mm-hmm. better, right? And why was that? Why was it better that he leave? Because then they were going to be comforted with the comforter. Yes, he was going to send the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about that in the past. Like if Jesus had stayed on earth all the time, if Jesus wanted to send a message back then, he didn't have, you know, <laughs> cell phones like we do where you can, you know, send a message or send an internet message and it go across. He just, he was there in that position. He could only handle what was in front of him. Mm-hmm. He could heal somebody from afar off, but as far as like spreading the gospel or whatever, the gospel of the kingdom is what we were supposed to be or what the disciples were supposed to be spreading, right? So it was better that the Comforter come because now the Holy Spirit goes from you to me to you to you, over there, over there, over there, over there. So the Spirit spreads. And when he set the Spirit, Holy Spirit upon them, that's when they got their understanding. In the right. Pentecost, that's when, it, that's like when they were endued upon high. So that's yes. whenever they have him inside them. Right. Now he is telling them where to go and what to do and how to do it. Mm-hmm. That's how that works for them. But you know, in Jesus' life, do you remember when I talked about how he grew in wisdom and stature? And we were way off topic, but this is okay. I mean, we'll get back to it. But do you remember I said when he grew in wisdom and stature, if he grew in something, that means he didn't have all of it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I picked up something in John chapter 13, and it was during our Lazarus study, but I hadn't it hadn't really dawned on me because and I, I wish I'd have brought it up back then. It probably would have made sense. But um during the supper. It's John 13, we'll start at verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to, to betray him, and listen to this closely, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, and was going back to God, rose from supper. It's almost like he gets this information at this some point in his ministry, like, now he knows that he's from God and that he's going to return to God. Do you see what I mean? It's almost like he like he discovered he knew who he was. You know, even you remember when John the Baptist sent his disciples and said, Are you mm-hmm. the Christ yes. or not? And Jesus says, Go back and tell him, I'm doing all of these things. And so that, you know, I'm raising the dead and the lame will walk and all of these things are happening. And so John would know. And and I used to think. You know, John was being weak, but I don't know that that's the case. I think maybe John, because he's the one that's supposed to make the path straight for the Lord, that he's asking him, are you the one or not? Because if you're not, I got to get out of this prison and I'm going to have to go find him. I got to make the path straight. Are you the one? And he says, yeah, go back and tell him. And literally John was dead the next day. I mean, they killed Mm -hmm. him the next day. So he got that little bit of information back from Christ. But I don't know if that's the case, but I always wonder when Jesus is on the cross and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We know that it's Psalm 2. We we can read it in Psalm 2, where David, the psalmist, writes that, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So it could be, but I don't think that is reciting scripture right there. I think that, is this an honest thing that the Christ is staying, saying to the Father? Why have you forsaken me? Because there's, we know what's happening to him. We know the transaction is the sin that's being laid on him, and that God the Father is literally going to crush him. It said it pleased him to crush him and to bruise him, like the Father. So, But the Christ was being separated at this moment, right? 
I don't know. It's very deep. But mm-hmm. I often wondered, like, just how much Christ knew. And uh, if he was, like, re- if the Father was revealing himself to the Son from the time of birth until the time of his ministry and then during his ministry, he spent all kinds of time on top of the mountain praying. Right? Yeah. He would. It, it said that he would stay up all night praying. Well, what's he talking about? If they, I mean, are they just having a conversation about what they're going to do tomorrow? Or is he seeking out what the Father's will is for him that's coming? It was kind of like a recharging for him. You see what I mean? Well, I think some things like this were taught uh, years and years ago, too. Because if you remember, there's a lot of movies I've told you about that have to do with these themes, if you look at The Hobbit and everything. But Total Recall, I remember telling you about Total Recall, where the one guy says, okay, I'm going to wipe my brain, and I'm going to go become this other person, and I'm going to get in with them. And then at the end, uh, we'll recharge my brain. I'll know who I am, and then we'll conquer them because I will have been inside with them. Mm-hmm. And it's this, that's that same thing where what you're talking about, did he understand exactly everything about who he was at that moment? And then they, they go through the same thing in Total Recall. At a certain point, they he snaps out of it and realizes who he is. He's this other person. So he Jesus and be, comes to earth and separates and becomes man, and then at a certain point regains the understanding of, oh, well, that's right. This is this was a, this was the plan. Mm-hmm. This was the plan. Yeah, and I, I wonder, you know, is it, you know, growing up Baptist, you know, coming from atheism into to being a Baptist, uh, they put <laughs> talk some, about from the left to the right. I mean, they <laughs> they, they they put so much emphasis. <clears throat> it's almost like Christ is omniscient and omnipresent as a man. They say he's fully God and fully man, but he couldn't be. There's no way. That doesn't make any sense to There's me There's no at all. way he could. It's not even that he could. It's just like, why this narrative arc, if that's the truth? Mm-hmm. I want to yeah. take, I, I take a moment right here, because I, 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 I want to say this every time we get together. I'd, I'd like just to take a moment for everyone who's listening. Um, these are our opinions and our studies and us having a discussion and a discourse about different things that we've read and things that we've heard. And if you're having a problem or a question about anything we're talking about, I implore you to do what we're doing, and that is get in the Word. Um, You will get understanding as you study more, and we are studying and talking with each other and, and studying on our own to get more of our own understanding and I, uh, what this is about with you listening to this uh, and hearing things, I hope something that we say sparks you to say, hey, let me go pick up the book and see for myself. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I think kind of the numerous times that he was praying, you know, he was God in the flesh. It was Jesus. But it also says that, you know, he understood us, all of us. And to be able to do that, then he had to experience what the flesh experiences and we do get weak and we do you know have to go back time and time again and pray and and keep going back into the word like you're saying and trials and tribulations it doesn't take much man and you're off in left field quickly Uh, it amazes me at how quickly you can just just a thought yeah and and for him to be able to to relate to us, to make us feel, you know, like he truly understands us, then we have to understand that he would know how that feels. 
So he keeps going back and he keeps praying. And I think that was more for our understanding than for his. Yeah, for us to be able to to really grasp that he is our, you know, our savior and he can relate to everything that we go through because he had to be flesh. And that would explain him praying, seeking out, constantly having conversations with the father. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if he knew the plan, he still would still experience that feeling of that flesh. The leakiness, I guess, of it yeah, is I was, probably the best way to say it. I, was, I watched the uh, the first two seasons of The Chosen, and I love that show because it really shows his humanity. Yeah. That's one of the things that I like about it. Like, he jokes. Yeah. He... He dances, you know, at a wedding mm-hmm. with his, mo- you know, with his friends and with his mother, and um, he's genuine. He's happy, but you know, he uh, when he's in Samaria and he's talking to that woman, you know, he it's like he's realizing now's the time to reveal myself, and he reveals himself in Samaria. I'd never picked up on that before, you know. Like I've read it a million times and never picked up on it, and then I went back and I'm like, man, that's what he did. He went to Samaria. That's where it started, and he tells that woman, you know, everything about her. So there are things that God revealed to him as a man that he would know that was in other people, and he knew what was in us. It's a strange thing to try to think of all God, all man. I it's I, I wrestle with it. I think everybody wrestles with it, which is part of why I'm here. Yeah. Right. I Absolutely. mean, I've studied this all my life and taught uh, catechism and uh, taught Bible study and been a part of Bible study and I'm going to done a lot of this, and at one point we're thinking about becoming a priest, and I still have the letter from the Monsignor about it, uh, and I still have questions. I stick to my faith. I stick to if I don't – if there's something I don't understand, I study it. If I still don't understand, then I just re- believe it as it's read mm-hmm. and take it at face value until it's shown to me. Yeah. Right. Sure. Well, that's been good. Let's let's uh, we've been doing this for a while, and let's let's go ahead and try to wrap this uh, the study up. We're only going to go through uh, verse four through fifteen, and I want to show you guys uh, some of the biblical um, fulfillment of what Christ said that would happen in their time. So, if we think about it from the disciples' perspective, it could have been evasive or it could have been over their head. But they would have learned these things after they received the Spirit. They would have seen the things that Jesus had told them, and those things would have been brought to remembrance, because the Holy Spirit does that for us and brings us the remembrance of the words of Christ. So verse uh, 4 through 5 of 24, it says, And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. So I thought that was very interesting, because the Lord begins with the warning against any expectation of his immediate coming. Think about it. His first response is that he's not going to come. But he said that the false Christ would soon be appearing. Do you see what I mean? And that it was going to take it was going to take some time and uh, from that pers- from that perspective at that time, based on what I believe, it's going to be another 40 years before he returns. And if you guys believe in dispensationalism, it's been 2000 and something years and he still hasn't come back, right? So there, you know, he's telling them, hey, you know, there's going to some people coming. So the expectation was already set. I'm not coming right away. Right. And so, and I was going to get into Zacchaeus. I, we don't have that much time. Maybe I'll try to get into it later. But while he's at Zacchaeus's home, if you want to read in Luke chapter 19, uh, you'll hear the story of that wee little man that climbed in a sycamore tree just to see Jesus, who was one Tax of the most collector, one of the most hated 
men in yeah. all of Judea yes. who was a chief tax collector, and Jesus comes to visit him. You know, so I'm coming to your house. Yeah, I'm right coming now. to your house, Mr. Chief Tax Collector, <laughs> which everybody would have thought was abhorrent, by the way. So Christ would go after watching the chosen. You start learning that kind of stuff. You know, like oh, oh man, well, they it, really it, hated it, tax collectors, didn't they? Yeah, it was as if it was just like you know, washing his feet with this perfumed. How could you do that when there are people out there that are poor? Yeah. You know, how could you be with this person? How could you be with her? She's a whore. How can you be with these people? They're lepers. They're un- they're unclean. Yeah. yeah. I know. How did he manage to say whore and it not sound bad? <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. And now I got to say a bad word. Whore. <laughs> you got to you got to put it in a string of other words that aren't bad. Yeah. <laughs> Clean it so, up a little bit. Yeah. So anyway, while Jesus is at Zacchaeus's house, he um he he pretty much Zacchaeus gets saved while he's there and 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 the representation of his salvation is that he's willing to give double back to anybody um it, wasn't it it was fourfold he said if he would pay everybody double back but if he had cheated them he would give them fourfold back what he cheated from them so basically he's going to make himself broke you know saying i'm going to give it all away you know i'm happy i've met jesus i'm going to give it all away so i mean that's you know, it's really cool. But Jesus then, while he's sitting in there with him, he gives this parable and he starts talking. And I'm only going to read a couple of verses from this parable. If you want to read the parable, it's in Luke 19, and I'm going to be pulling it from 12 and 13, which is toward the bottom of the parable. He says, he said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. So that's pretty much saying, like, as he's given this parable, if you think about what he's saying, he's saying that he's going to leave and receive a kingdom, right? And so he leaves things for the people that are behind. Engage in business until I come. So that tells that that's telling me that when he leaves, that we're still engaging in business until he comes back, mm-hmm. right? Right. Okay. Now. Just don't bury it. Right. So the false messiahs that he said in those verses before, um, and he said, see that you are not led astray for many will come in my name saying, I am he and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. Right. That was from Luke 21.8. Yeah. And that's the time is at hand. So my question was, my question is, um, did false messiahs arise in their generation? Yes. Yes. Okay. And so we have some biblical references. We're going to read those. And oh, there were a lot of them. Then there was mass killings of them. Yeah. So in Acts five thirty six, for before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about four hundred, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. So that's a description within the scripture. But then Josephus, if you guys haven't heard me talk about him, he was a Jewish historian, Flavius Josephus. Uh, who was a general for the Jews and then was captured by the Romans and forced to become a historian. Uh, he writes, he's he's an interesting writer. He's got like a lot of heartfelt emotion in his history book uh, because he tells you at the beginning in his preface, I'm a Jew, I love my land, I love my people, and I love my God, and you're going to see emotion in this, and I'm not going to apologize. I have feelings, you know. So Josephus writes in his book, the land was overrun with magicians, seducers, and impostors who drew the people after them in multitudes into solitudes and deserts to see the signs and miracles which they promised to show by the power of God. You can find that in the Jewish War, uh, book two, chapter 13, if you want to look it up. 
Uh, and then also, so great was the number of these impostors that Felix, governor of Judea, mentioned in Acts 23 through 25, put some of them to death daily. Another example uh, is an Egyptian who pretended to be a prophet. You can find this in Acts 21, 38. Uh, he gathered 30,000 men and boasted that he would show how at his command the walls of Jerusalem would fall down. And so the uh, well-known historian Eusebius, uh, who wrote—he's, um, I think Eusebius is the only one uh, for the first 300 years that captured the history of the Christian church. He's the one that wrote it. A greater blow than this was infli- inflicted on the Jews by the Egyptian false prophet. Arriving in the country, this man, a fraud who posed as a seer, collected about 30,000 dupes, led them around by the wild country to the Mount of Olives, and from there was ready to force an entry into Jerusalem, overwhelm the Roman garrison, and seize supreme power. But his fellow raiders as bodyguards, or, sorry, with his fellow raiders as bodyguards, but Felix anticipated his attempt by meeting him with the Roman heavy infantry, the whole population rallying to the defense, so that when the clash occurred, the Egyptian fled with a handful of men and most of his followers were killed or captured. And then Origen uh, mentions a certain wonder worker named Docetheus, who claimed he was the Christ foretold by Moses. And then uh, another of the false Christs in the book of Acts, chapter 8, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. So uh, we see... um, you guys all know who Arrhenius is. He's the one that, you know, he wrote the book on heretics and helped canonize the Bible, one of the earliest uh, church fathers. Uh, in his heresy book, he said, Simon claimed to be the son of God and creator of angels. Then uh, St. Jerome says that he claimed that Simon claimed to be the word of God, the Almighty. And Justin uh, relates that he went to Rome and was acclaimed as a god by his magical powers. So, yes, there are false messiahs, but also in First John— which is there closer to the end before the destruction of the temple. In 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Children, it is the last hour, not day. It is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. So they believe that this was written around AD 65. And notice it says last hour, not, you know, remember he said no one knows the day nor the hour? Mm-hmm. He said it is the last hour. This was in John's time. Well, you know, there is something. Uh, during the time of Jesus' teaching, when he, when he started his teaching, uh, during that time, the Jews were crying for a king, and they were looking for a king and for a Messiah. And it, much like what our last discussion, uh, where in Saul's time, where they were asking for a king, uh, and then uh, Samuel anointed Saul, uh, they were looking for. For anyone listening, that would be our holiday edition. So it will not be in sequence, but go to our Halloween, Halloween <laughs> edition, and you'll hear what uh, Ralph's talking about. And so there was a clamoring for someone to lead the Jews at this time. So when Jesus was crucified, there was this vacuum. And there had been false prophets during all of that time. But then when Jesus was crucified, there was this vacuum of people trying to fill that void, trying to be Yeah, it looks uh, like an opportunity. Leader. Oh, absolutely. Yep. And just so it's understood, uh, even according to Josephus and uh, Arrhenius, there weren't a lot of false messiahs prior to this. 
There, there weren't. I mean, when Jesus started, he was sort of like the guy that started it. He was, mm. he was one of the first ones with the, what you say might have the cojones to do it. But you know, <laughs> he was the real one. So uh, I, I could see that. Sure. Because there had been people that had done it, but that most of them had been killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees put that to put that to bed in a hurry. Yeah. I just want to point out that Rick briefly talked about a magical Justin. And that just sounds like a fun guy. Yeah. <laughs> Magical Justin. Yeah, every time he went somewhere, his last name was Time, actually. Yeah, Justin. Justin oh my Time. God, was it really? No, but isn't that I funny? I was going to say, that's too good. <laughs> yeah. All I shouldn't right. have believed that. <laughs> <laughs> he's, so, he's, he's so naive. Bazinga! <laughs> so uh, let's continue on in Matthew 24, verse 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. So I want to make it clear, like I did last time, when Jesus said that there are wars and rumors of wars, that it's not the end time yet, okay? So when these guys come up to you today and they're like, hey man, there's wars everywhere, man, the Lord's coming back, you'd be like, I don't think so. It's not the end yet, according to Revelation. I mean, according to the Matthew, uh, the Olivet Discourse. I'd like you to point at a piece of human history that wasn't rife with war. Wars, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> when I was looking up some you know, obviously, I'm going to find it in Scripture too. But when you talk about wars and rumors of wars, um, this book, the Annals of Tacitus, you got to love the names of these books. I think um, I mean Annals, maybe. I don't annals. know. Is that the right way to say it? A N A L S. Annals, like yeah. Annals. Yeah, the Annals of. Uh, isn't isn't yeah. it anal? Annals. A N A L. Anal is for butts. Yeah. But when they say they don't say in the the Annals of history, they say in the Annals of history. Is anybody? Can you, Anybody? Feel free one. to Google that, yeah. will you? So, <laughs> Google. I'm it. not saying the word, but it's Do true. Do me a favor, Andy. Pull up, pull up uh, a n n a l s on Google and let Google pronounce it. Pronounce say it, it yeah, for us. Absolutely. I want to hear it say story. anal. <laughs> no anal. So while you're looking it up, interrupt me when you get there. So basically, did the disciples hear of wars and rumors of wars? Yeah, because anal's is not a plural for anus because. Hold on. Is, is hold on, hold on, for that. <laughs> I'm going to turn my phone up and try this. Wow. Let's Ready? see if we can hear it. Yep. Annals. 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 In the, okay. So in Tacitus, I knew it wasn't anus. anal. I knew it wasn't anal. Well, look, I got to be honest with you. Whether it's Greek or Roman, there was a lot of anus stuff going on. No, I think that's true. Very true. So. They liked the butt. In the annals of history of <laughs> Jerry Tacitus. just gave me a look. I deserve every bit of it. <laughs> Side glance. Um, me in. So Tacitus, who was the Roman, basically he was the counterpart of uh, Josephus. He was alive at the same time, but Tacitus was the Roman historian, uh, the same time that Josephus was doing the history of the Jews, but he was also under the power of the Romans, right? So Tacitus is what he says. Um, we find such expressions as these, disturbances in Germany, commotions in Africa, commotions in Thrace, insurrections in Gaul, intrigues among the Parthians, the war in Britain, war in America, in, America, in Armenia. There was no America, sorry. Uh, among the Jews, the times became turbulent. In Seleucia, 50,000 Jews were killed. There was an uprising against them in Alexandria. In a battle between the Jews and Syrians in Caesarea, 20,000 were killed. During these times, the emperor Caligula, you know, we all know who that guy is. Was Caligula the one that was like uh, Dracula? Oh, I don't. Isn't no, he the one that put him on spikes? That. I think it was Caligula, wasn't he it? He did a lot of that too. Nero was the uh, 
I think if you watch that well. Bram Stoker's Dracula, I think that the Dracula of the time is actually Emperor Caligula, but he just he's immortal. Oh, really? I think huh. so. Yeah, I could be wrong. It wouldn't be surprising. I just know that it's a movie where. Um, just curious uh, in the annals of Keanu Reeves. Can you turn towards the mic a little? And Keanu Reeves. Oh, thank you. Just going back to the the annals is A N N U L S. No, that's annuals. U L S, not U A L S. Annuls. Annuls. Oh, man, annals. there's a lot of anal words. Annuls. Yes. Annals. Annals. I don't know. In I don't know what I'm talking in about. In the annals anymore. of history, just making noise. All right, moving on. So, verse seven. So we've seen that there were wars and rumors of wars. We got it. Nation fighting against nation. Uh, so in verse 7, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. So what I did was a search to see, okay, uh, were there nations against nations at the time? Yes. Uh, Josephus writes, at Caesarea in AD 59, the Jews and Syrians contended about the right to the city, and 20,000 Jews were slain. At Scythopolis, over 13,000 Jews were killed. Thousands were killed in the other places. And again, at Alexandria, 50,000 were killed. And at Damascus, 10,000 were killed in an hour's time. So uh, how about famines? I don't have a problem with any of that. I do have a problem with one thing, knowing that we're running out of time, is how did they get to the whole world? Because there are several continents that aren't mentioned I'm going to get to it at the end of this. Okay. I promise. I'll come back. To, uh, if I get to the end of this, we're going to get to it. So famines. So there is a famine that's actually foretold by Agabus, who was a prophet in the book of Acts. He was a Christian. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius, Acts chapter 11, verse 28. So there's a timestamp. In the days of Claudius, this is prior to Titus and all of them. So this, the disciples would have known because all of these Christians were talking about the famine. And so this very famine was mentioned by Tacitus, Suetonius, and Eusebius, and is said to have been severe in Jerusalem. Josephus wrote that many people perished for want of food. Judea, uh, Judea was especially hard hit by famine, and the disciples sent aid to them. So in Acts chapter eleven twenty nine, so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. So that was due to the famine. Uh, Tacitus speaks of a failure in the crops and a famine consequent thereupon. Uh, Eusebius mentions famines during this time in Rome, Judea, and Greece. And there were famine in those years before the fall of Jerusalem. So there you go. Now also, um, I think it's in the book of uh, Matthew, or yeah, in Matthew or in Luke, sometimes uh, the word pestilences is put in it. Uh, Famines and pestilences, there was uh, the pestilence is a rapid spread of disease and epidemics, right? So um, pretty much wherever famine is, pestilence is. Um, okay, uh, just a quick aside. Caligula is definitely known as the cruelest Roman emperor. Yeah. He was quite the bastard, apparently. Yeah. I mean, he has that historically, but uh, you when we start getting into Nero, <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I don't think there's anybody worse than Nero, man. I mean, but... I don't know. But Caligula was the guy that ran around like spiking Arabians and people like, they were like putting them on spikes and like hanging out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's, oh, ugh. There, there's another anal of history. <laughs> All right. So uh, uh, Josephus records that pestilence, uh, pestilence is raised in Babylonian AD 40. All right. So let's talk about earthquakes. Did the disciples experience earthquakes in their lifetime? I don't remember seeing it in the Bible, but... 
I'm sure that there were earthquakes then as there are now. Just like there was famines in the time of the pharaohs of Egypt and mm-hmm. their— Joseph and all that. Absolutely. Does, are earthquakes common? Is there a fault line kind of in that general You know, I was wondering about that. Or, I don't know. Because you could—I mean, if there if there's a fault, then so there's gonna, a I'm going to go into something that religion differs on, and that's the timing of the earth— but I had read an article once that could be wrong, but I had read an article once, and this is why I was asking you about uh, when they got to the whole earth, because at one time it is said that the earth was all one. one. Yeah, but that would have been apart. before people. I, I, I get that. I'm just saying biblical time, what preachers and people talk about in biblical time and what scientists say is the time of the humans is What do you mean? Different. What are you trying to say, Andy? Are you trying to say that this world is older than 7,000 years? I didn't mean a little touch. Pangea, that's what that's called. Pangea, yes. All right, earthquakes. So uh, Tacitus, that Roman historian I was talking about, he wrote, frequent earthquakes occurred by which many houses were thrown down and 12 populous cities of Asia fell in ruins from an earthquake. Obviously, we know that Paul spent a lot of time in Asia, in Asia Minor. Seneca, a Roman philosopher and historian from 4 BC to AD 65, wrote in the year 58 AD, How often have cities of Asia and Achaia fallen with one fatal shock? How many cities have been swallowed up in Syria? How many in Macedonia? How often has Cyprus been wasted by this calamity? How often has Paphos become a ruin? News has often brought us to the demo. The news has often brought us to the demolition of whole cities at once. In AD 60, Hierapolis, Colossa, and Laodicea were overthrown from earthquakes. There were earthquakes in Crete, Apamea, Smyrna, Miletus, Chios, Samos, and Judea. There were literally earthquakes in diverse places. So um, even though, if we have to remember, Jesus said, when you hear all of these things, it's still not the end. So there's going to be a lot of things that happen in that period between the time that the Jesus ascends until they actually see the destruction of the temple, which was what their question was. When is this going to happen? So he says, all of this stuff's going to happen before you see the destruction of the temple, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So, and he says that uh, in Matthew 24, 8, continuing, it says, all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Now, as I had said, um, I can never remember if it was on the podcast or if we were just talking. <laughs> Cherry and I, we communicate too much about this stuff. But basically, the birth pains of the Messiah, This is this is where there's a lot of woe and travail, pain. Things are happening when it's going from death to life. So as Judaism of its time is dying, Christianity is being born and through much sorrow. He was called the man of sorrows, through much pain and delivery. So this this is just the birth pains, right? So let's see here. All right. Well, his death was the beginning of all of that. His death and resurrection mm-hmm. in the temple, thats that was the beginning of all of these pains that will continue until uh, he does come again. Right. So, this is the beginning of the birth pains. And then verse, 20, uh, verse 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. If I was a disciple, I'd have been like, oh, this is a bum gig. Like this, what happened? <laughs> right. Like I thought I was going to be like your right-hand man, and now I'm going to be put to death. Why do you think so, Judas got 30 shekels out of it That's it what over? I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. So, who was to be delivered up and killed? 
the disciples. You sure? You sure it's not somebody in the future? Although it is certainly true that all Christians who live a godly life will suffer persecution. We know that. Jesus is speaking directly to them. Mm-hmm. So he's telling them, before this temple happens, you're going to be enduring all of this, okay? Um, and so do they experience this tribulation and death prior to the destruction of the temple? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we do. So let's find the places. Here we are. Acts 4.3, and they arrested them. Talking about Peter and John mm-hmm. and being in prison. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. That's Acts 4.3. Paul and Silas were beaten and imprisoned. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Paul was brought before Gallio in Acts 28.12, Felix in Acts 24.24, and Agrippa, Acts 25.23. Stephen was stoned to death. And Saul of Tarsus was there approving of it in Acts 7, 59. Uh, James was killed by Herod. Uh, As soon as Paul started preaching, he began to experience persecution. We see that in Acts 9. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. And then later in 29, it says, And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. Paul was beaten five times by the Jews. It says in uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 24 and 25, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. What did we say that was, 195? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. So Jesus said the disciples would be afflicted, beaten, and imprisoned. So we see all of that. All right? Mm -hmm. So those things we know were fulfilled. Uh, Verse 10 in Matthew 24, continuing with the discourse. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. So because of that, you know, great persecution, um, many became apostate, many many ran from the faith. And uh, Jesus actually explains this kind of person in one of his parables. This is is how it goes in Matthew 13. We all know this parable if you've read the parable. And, And for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So Jesus has already talked about them, this kind, all right? So now back to the discourse, uh, chapter 24, verse 11, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. So these aren't the same as the false messiahs of verse 5, okay? These are false teachers that are among the believers, all right? And so let's see here. Second uh, Corinthians eleven thirteen. Paul speaks of them. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Okay, so that is biblical. He's even describing them within. Uh, John speaks of false prophets in First John four. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Mm-hmm. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. All right. So let's go back to Matthew twenty four's discourse. And because lawlessness, verse 12, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. So we see that directly in the Revelation. When Jesus himself reveals through John to the church at Ephesus, he says this in Revelation 2, verse 4, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. So they'd grown cold. And then um, 
whenever you, anytime you read just Josephus, when it comes to Jerusalem, you can see that uh, there was lots of lawlessness, lawlessness at this time. And then Matthew 24, 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. In the last episode, we talked about how it's not talking about salvation. It's just talking about that the one that hangs in will be saved from that destruction of the temple. He's not going to not talking about your your eternal soul at this point, right? Um, because if it was, it would be work based. Do you get what I'm saying? It would be work based. Um, Romans four five and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And again, in Romans eleven six. but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So this is not talking about salvation. He's talking about hang in there and you won't be killed at the temple. That's, that, or in Jerusalem, right? All right. So this is where we're getting to my favorite part. Um, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart and let not those who are out in the country enter it. Um, I sent, did I send you that cherry about the, whenever they fled from the city and went to Perea and Josephus? No, I, don't think so. I sent it to you. I did. It was, it was the picture of the books. Okay. Yeah. And I sent it to you this morning. You probably didn't have time to read them. Right. And I'm going to pull them up and read them here in a second. So, um, so I'm, in order to describe the last three verses, and then we'll stop for the night, uh, we're going to go on to verse 14, 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So there are, there's a Christian broadcasting network that is trying to get the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth so that this will hurry up and get the kingdom here. That's what they're trying to do. But I'd be surprised to know. Um, I don't think God's going to change his timing for a bunch of Christians. You don't think no. so? Awesome. Well, let's, uh, let's see. I've got to find those verses. Here we are. It says in uh, Colossians 1, this is a letter by Paul, verse 5 through 6. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven... Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. So Paul's saying that it's reached the whole world at this point, okay? Now, um, if you want to parse the word world and be like, okay, maybe it's their Jewish world, because we talk about that. Localized flooding or localized whatever, I'll say that the world could mean something the world more as localized. They know it. The world as they know it, right? Well, here's something that might change your mind. Colossians 1.23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So I don't know. I what could, color are those words? They're white. No, they're not. What color are those words in the book? What do you mean? It's not. It's, they're not red. I know. I know. Just this is Paul saying this. Well, you're trying to say that Paul wasn't a minister of no. God? I'm just saying Paul's saying that it's uh, that it's gone throughout the whole world. But is it the world that he knows, or is it the entire world? All creation. It has nothing to do with the world he's in. It's under all creation under heaven. 
That's what they're saying is that by this point, within 40 years, the entire gospel went throughout the whole world. The whole world. According to who? According to Paul. Okay, well, according to Paul. Is Paul led by the Holy Spirit when he wrote the book? <laughs> you better answer my question, Ralph. <laughs> Are you I, saying I no? I feel that Paul was led by the Spirit when he wrote the book, but I also can see Paul's knowledge being limited as to his understanding, like you're saying, in his time, just like you're saying when when the disciples asked Jesus a question and Jesus answered, it's in that time. So to say that it had reached the whole world, in Paul's mind, all the creation under heaven, because that would be what he only knew of, he's saying, yes, this has been preached. Necessarily, do we all know at this point that many more people have came since then, more continents have been discovered, more people have been born. So it wouldn't necessarily be all the creation at that time because we've had more creation since then. So what he believed. What does that have to do with the second coming of Christ? It doesn't. It's just about that specific, what he's saying. He's saying in that time frame, in his knowledge, it was preached right. to all. But that in time. that time frame, the destruction of the temple, which Jesus said would happen, happened. And if it happened, then that means that Christ came. That's how he's answered the question. So even if it is their own little world, that doesn't mean that the second coming of Christ can't happen, that you are living in the church age, and that every single human being that is born is depraved and needs the gospel. Why? What, what does that change about our commission in the world? That doesn't change anything about our commission, but it does. It, it, it you're, does so, you're saying localized the, timing and his inability. I'm just, I'm just questioning that everyone in the world has been has been shown the message at that point. Well, look, I'm just going based at on what the Bible time, says. Possibly so, yeah, yeah, based on yeah, what Paul know. knew. What are you saying, Andy? I just. What are you mumbling over there? I just. I think it's unreasonable to believe that that is literally true. I I don't think that there's any fact outside of the Bible that could support that assertion. Hmm. That there are there there are yeah. aborigin there there are people that, yeah. that have never been discovered that have yeah. been living forever and have their own language yeah. that no one else knows. There are yep. babies yep. that can't understand or listen or yeah, hear. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I just don't think there's anything outside of the Bible that could possibly support that statement. Well. How many babies are born every second? Then how in the world is the entire world ever going to hear the gospel if we're going to parse it like that? I mean, sure. Well, I don't You're think never going to everyone get to the in the world at that one time heard it either. It says if, all creation under heaven. Yeah. Again. I mean, but I guess what I'm saying is, when Find you me a this, second source on that. That's all I'm saying. I okay. just want another source. You're saying for us to be like in that time as the audience— and I'm putting myself in that time, and I'm saying, based on the ability of Paul to understand what he knows and where he's been and what he's encountered, he is factually saying, in his time, to his knowledge, it has been preached to all. He, he may believe it. Sure, he might believe that. Did, did, yes. Now, did Paul receive his revelation from man or from Christ? From Christ. All right. Does Christ sit at the right hand of the Father? Yes. Does Christ know his creation and did he create it? Yes. So if he received his revelation from him, would it be safe to say that Paul may not just be talking from his own perspective, but he might be writing words that are Holy Spirit driven? Is it possible? I think all the books of the Bible were written by Holy Spirit driven. Right. But man still gets in there. 
because you, do you realize what we're doing today? We're reading from the Bible and talking about the Bible to the Bible, <laughs> right? You see right. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, three languages after the yeah, Bible was like, written and from one language to another and now ours. Now, when we're having a conversation in this podcast about Christians who are reading the Bible or people who are reading the Bible and trying to understand it, and we're talking about all the different eschatological views— soteriology, all the different views of the Bible, we're coming from this perspective. We're saying that there is going to be a specific view, whether you're a pre, pre, mid, post, whatever, everybody's got their decisions, but they all have one rule. The Bible interprets the Bible. All of them have the same rule, biblical hermeneutics. The Bible must prove out the Bible. That's how it works. So that's nothing more than what I'm saying. I'm telling you that the Bible is telling you that all the earth has heard this message, that it's been, and then Jesus said, the gospel must be preached to the entire world. If he tells the disciples, you will be hated by all nations because of me, then that means that all nations have heard the gospel and therefore hate him. Is that not true? In that time frame. Exactly. So In, in the reference of his world. So if I'm talking about, and if he said, yeah. this generation shall not pass, is it in his time frame? Yes. Then how can we say that it's two thousand years from then? I don't. I don't know that anybody here did. Oh yeah, they are. They're in this room. Hmm. They. Are. I'm not. I'm or not I arguing. Interpreted that. Then. No, I'm just saying that their eschatological view is that there is a future coming of Christ. I'm saying ah. Jesus said all of this would happen in their generation. I'm saying that if you're going to say that the second coming of Christ has came, then spiritually, biblically, it should be in the Bible. That's why we have the side conversations that you and I have. Because in one sense, you're saying, read the Bible, read it in its time frame, just as it is. Like, I'm talking to Ralph. Ralph's yes. talking to me. We're in this moment. We're reading it. Yep. But then when I look back at certain things, I'm like, well, what about this? When did this specific thing happen? If you tell me to read the Bible and to read it literally for what it says, then this is what it says, and that's not what I see. Yeah, but who's literal meaning? So we would have to go back to the original language and be in their time to know exactly what the Correct. literal meaning of that is. Right, but I'm never questioning whether Paul is inspired by God. No, I and so if I'm that saying all. that Paul is inspired by God to write these books and he says it, I'm taking it at face value. Right. No matter what time stamp it is. Correct. Right? So that's what I'm saying. I'm not I'm not arguing the point that Paul had some, you know, you know, Paul had to suffer in his physical body. Mm-hmm. You know? So anyway. Right, but uh, there are Lots of books of the Bible and lots of the books of the Bible that are not in the Bible, so man put the Bible together. And so man is still in there somewhere because there are many other books that were written by Mary Magdalene and Mary and Ruth, all other amount of people that are not in what we consider the yeah. true Bible. It's that, uh, it's that. And that's what, changed what you... over years. It hasn't always been what we have because, you know, the <laughs> Jews. I'm not laughing at you. I was just sitting here thinking when you were talking, like what you just said. And I thought there's going to be people that have the dispensationalist view that are literally pulling their hair out right now listening to this. Yes. <laughs> they're, they're dying. They're like, oh, if I was there, I would tell them. I would read this and I would read this and I'd pull out of this and 1 Corinthians 15 verse 15, yes. I would say this and this, I would do this. Like, There's people out there right now that are listening to this. That I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that someday I'm going to die and someday that I am, I am the, and, and that I know that today and every day because I will never deny the Lord 
even though I had a problem for a while after my divorce. Uh, but I will never commit a, a sin so that I would be taken out of the book, that's for sure. Um, I know that I'm going to heaven. I know that, and for whatever heaven is, we we call it heaven. We have no idea what heaven is, Which but is a I good will be point. with God. People that, pe- people that put their trust in him, regardless of your eschatological view, that you've put your trust in him. Absolutely. So keep that in mind. Yeah, Absolutely. that's a good point. And then, you know... Our job is to our job is to seek and to teach, and you can't teach if you don't know, and you won't know if you don't read. Right. And, and if you read it, chances are you're not reading it right. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> is that that's true? true because I mean if, that's what we've been doing all if night, right? If, 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 if you've never read it before and no one's ever read it to you or t- taught it to you, when you read it, how do you understand it? Yeah, I had a man come to me the other day and ask me the simple of school questions, and I was like, "Wow, what it must be like to be." You know, a new and a newborn Christian, and to first hear these words for the first time, and they have no clue like what's going on, you know. And they're like, "Man, it must be nice." Like ignorance is bliss, man. Like I totally get it. I was just saying that the other day to my wife. We were watching a show, and there was a guy on there that wasn't real bright with a woman that wasn't real bright, and they had a great life. They got an old truck, got a good old beat up house. They got kids. And they have all the food that they need, and they're as happy as they can be. They don't have a care in the world because they don't, they're not trying to be better. They don't know that they should try to be, they're not going for this and trying to this and got to work hard and got to get this. They're just living and and loving and being. And I'm like, God, wouldn't it be nice to be that? And to not always say I got to get that, or I got to get this, or Man. I got to work harder for this, or I got I want to retire and I want to do this, and I wish I, I want to be a that dumb, person, dumb farmer. <laughs> hey, you know what? Look at I'm just I'm, kidding. I want to be. Kidding. I want to no, be. An he's Indian. kidding. He does not wish he was a dumb farmer. <laughs> I wish I were. I, I wish we were 500 years ago when I was an Indian on this planet, right here in this mm-hmm. country. Seems like a lot of work. Yeah, it is a lot of work. But gosh, mm. you, you get to enjoy nature, and everyone's not. Fighting each other for wow. this or for that, you're that, working together. I'm not as sure a about community. that second part. There's a lot of fighting each other. Yes, for there are, <laughs> but less of it, and they were you're more about spread the Indians? apart. And they were more yeah, spread apart. The American Native Americans. And they were more spread apart. And there was less fighting. But I would love to have been back in a day where the earth was clean and the buffalo were plenty and the fish were plenty and we weren't hadn't polluted it which is why I went back 500 years yeah sure we haven't polluted it the way we have and the, and to enjoy it and to and to not have all of the social norms that we have today and everything that we have today and i do know that this does exist in some third world countries and there are some places in africa and and in jungles where people have been living forever and ever and under this system sure. of everybody pitches in and every does th- everybody does something and we're enjoying life and 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 the world and oh, the way it was meant to be no it's it's very it's a very romantic notion absolutely mm-hmm. yeah have you guys ever seen The Gods Must Be Crazy? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, that great. is terrific. Yeah, what a wonderful that. film. Oh, if you haven't absolutely. seen it, yeah. when, that, when he drops that Coke bottle down, that I mean, it terrific. changed that entire tribe. I love that movie. Yeah, it was great. I mean, it was such to, a good movie. He tries to throw it back to the gods, and it falls back in his head. Yep. <laughs> and he's cursing the gods, like, ah, 
take back your Coke bottle. There's literally some dude flying over in a plane. It's just drops of Coke bottle. It's an old movie, anybody <laughs> listening. It is so good. It up. It's worth your time. It Absolutely. will stand up, when I it, promise. It does. And when it describes what it's like for the common man of today, like, not, you know, like, and now this man, you know, he has this alarm, this clock that wakes him up and tells him that he must go and stand here and work to receive money. You know, and it shows him at work. How ridiculous our lives are in comparison to that Aboriginal tribe. Oh, it that's, was so funny. That's, that's like the guy that's, uh, he makes a little widget every single day and he trades it for food. Mm-hmm. And the guy comes up uh, uh, to him and says, oh, we should sell this. We could sell this and we could market it and we could do this and we could do this. And then when we do this, you're going to get all of this money. And then what you're going to be able to do when you get all this money is do all of these great things. And then you're going to be able to retire and then move to a little fishing village and make your little widgets. And he's like, um, excuse me. I'm already making my widgets, bro. <laughs> that's good. Well, that's it for this episode. Believe that's it or not, a big one. That was a big one. That's what she said. Not so. to you. <laughs> Make sure to put a, a real rim shot after what Ralph Boom. just said there. Um, anyway, so uh, we will be back. Uh, we're going to continue this study. I think this is a six-part study. We're only in part number, what, two? Mm-hmm. So we got four more parts to go. It gets deep and how, up And how here. many are we doing on Saturday? Two? Or you wanted to do the whole four. thing? Yeah, we're doing some catch-up episodes this coming Saturday. We're doing four episodes. Somebody bring the hot wings. You got yep. it. We're the media. Hey, we likes. should we should text each other back and forth about who's bringing what. Yeah, we should. And, I, and, 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 and it just occurs to me that I have All to right. drive to Did your Rick shop Did Rick say tomorrow goodbye? Morning. No, I'm getting ready to. All right. So, thanks, Cherry. Thank thanks, you, Ralph. <laughs> thanks, Andy. Thank you. All right. We'll Bye. talk to you guys next time on the Burroughs of Berea. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Burrows of Berea. Please check us out on Patreon if you would like to give to this podcast. That would be great. You know how much time and effort and hard work it takes? You know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make this podcast? None. (laughs) But you do know that it takes time, and it takes money to do it. So if you guys want to help us, please do. Thanks so much. Talk to you later. In the Namdi Patri, the feeling, Spiritus Santu, Amen. Yeah, your level looks good there. So cool. All right, we're we're rolling. Ralph's got that Werther's Originals guy going on. Do you have any Werther's in your cardigan? Uh, no, I do have some in the car though. <laughs> <laughs> he just made me. I I have a freshly opened large size bag of Reese's Pieces somewhere in my <sighs> life, and I don't think it's right here. And now I'm very sad because I thought <laughs> about them. Yeah, and I love your glasses too. By the way. He's got that. He's talking about you. Look at you. Look like a like like he's, he's an author. Look, don't he like like, like he's an author of That's a funny selling novel. You say that, that I bought these big frames because I saw a writer on a movie, and I'm like, he looks like an author, and I want glasses like that because I'm trying to write a book, and I want to look like an author. Really? Absolutely. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> it's the vacation. Oh, okay. I want to get. Um, I like I like those. I just I want some more of those originals now. I've got a box in the car. They they come out in a box now because you know sometimes they stick together when they're in the roll, but they yeah. made a box. Hey, here you go, little boy. Would you like some candy? <laughs> or, <laughs> I am not that old. Pull my finger, kid. <laughs> I'm just playing. You don't look that old.
Ralph, may I ask how old you are? You can ask, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's got a lot of energy. He does. More than two of me. Yeah. I'll go ahead and tell the joke now. Definitely the Energizer right. Bunny. So this king is sitting on his throne, and he is bored out of his mind. So he starts calling on all his people, minstrels, come out and play. So the minstrels are playing. And then he calls on the jester. Jester, make me laugh. And so the jester comes out and he's dancing around and he's, you know, telling jokes, trying to make him laugh. And he's just, nothing's working. He's like, magicians, come out here and show me some magic. And so they go out there and, you know, they're like making smoke and fire and he's just bored. And so he, he says, where's that Jewish prophet that I got? Moisha. So Moisha comes out. He says, Moisha, tell me something that is going to happen in the future. He said, well, my lord, the king, your horse is going to die. So the king's like, ah, oh, get him out of here. So like the next day, the king's horse is dead and he is super pissed. And so he calls Moisha back in. He's like, Moisha, he's like, I got to ask you this. He said, tell me. When do you think that you're going to die? So Moisha, being a pretty smart Jewish prophet, perceiving that the king was going to kill him on the spot, said, My lord the king, I don't know when I'm going to die, but I do know that it will be three days after you do. <laughs> Nobody gets the joke. All right. <laughs> you don't get it? You, I think you may have missed it. Did I? It's going to be three, three days. days before before you. So Why would it be three days after you? It would be three days before, because when the prophet dies, it's a threat that the king will die afterwards. If you say three days before you, he would, yeah. If he the would prophet already, says it'll be three days after you, okay. Three days after the king. After the king. Man, the king could cut just, that joke. <laughs> yeah, the king, the king, no, put the it king in. could disprove the joke. prophet by killing him. Yeah, that's the point. I have a joke. But if it's okay, but if it's three days after the king, then he can't kill the prophet. If it's three days after the king. I I I see that backwards. Yeah. yeah if you believe the, the prophet. Okay. Well, the the horse died. <laughs> Either way, the horse. <laughs> so, is, if you don't mind, Andy, right here at this point, would you please put that gigantic, terrible bump? Okay. Bump, bump, thank sure. you.